Well, this morning I get to uh, continue on the series called Invisible. You know, and we get to talk about how, you know, I remember this when I started the sermon series on Ruth and how invisible she must have felt to be erased by life. She was a wife and uh, part of a large family and because of tragedy her husband passed and she didn't think that there was going to be really any hope and, and she wasn't a virgin anymore and so she was kind of considered herself damaged goods and especially in that day and culture. And she moves in with her mother-in-law and they go back to a land that she's unfamiliar with and we know the story. God takes, uh, it's the Cinderella story of the Bible. He takes rags to riches. The woman that is in the welfare line and gleaning uh, the scraps out of a field ends up marrying the man that owns the field. And she becomes the owner of the place she once used to get, gather scraps. But God took that marriage and said, I'm going to make royalty out of it. And she become the great, great grandmother of King David, which ultimately led her and her husband's bloodline to be the bloodline of the Messiah. And, you know, so we've been talking about how God can take what feels like invisible moments and invisible people and He could rewrite a chapter in our lives. Today I'm going to talk about the difference between hiding and being invisible. Because sometimes we as people hide and we complain about being invisible, not seen. And so that's the subject matter I want to talk about today and I'm going to take two examples. And so would you pray with me? Uh, Father, today I ask you for the anointing of the Holy Spirit that allows us uh, to see clearly through your word. I ask you to anoint me to teach today. Most of the time I stand before this congregation and ask you to anoint me to preach. But today help me to teach your word and break it apart and allow it to be applicable to our lives. And I give you the praise and honor in Jesus' name. And everybody said... Amen. See, sometimes you think that you're invisible, but you're really hiding. And I don't know how many of you have ever had small children, but I, and maybe yours didn't do what mine did, but I, I have heard from others that theirs did either the same thing or very similar things. And maybe your kids, when they felt a little bit of anxiousness or they felt like they were getting in trouble or felt like they were in a situation that was overwhelming my kids would close their eyes and somehow or another if they closed their eyes and they couldn't see anybody they felt like they couldn't be seen as well. That they would magically become invisible just by closing their eyes. But we know that that is not true. It doesn't matter how much you close your eyes people can still see you. And then it really dawned on me a few years ago we had some inside connections. Uh, I've been here seven, next Sunday will be 17 years I have been in Southwest Florida. And one of the young men that I met 17 years ago that was just a teenager ended up graduating from high school, going and getting trained in the arts, and he became a stage manager and kind of a producer for David Copperfield. And he, David Copperfield, the magician, he literally come to Barbara B. Mann and we got backstage passes and we got to sit at the premier seats and everything. He was treating his pastor right. And I remember them putting an elephant up on that stage. And it looked like it appeared that he made that elephant disappear into thin air. But you know what? He really didn't. What he did 
was he hid that elephant right in plain sight, right in front of you, and then distracted your vision to another place on stage, and they literally had a person walk that elephant off the stage and nobody saw it. It's incredible how we can sometimes hide ourselves, our things in our lives. You know what? Either something is going wrong with the way we communicate because I am here to say that probably 90% of the people that you talked to during the meet and greet said they were doing incredibly well. But most of them have something hiding in here. Oh, out on the surface it looks good, but sometimes there's some brokenness and some issues on the inside of us. And that very rarely do we become vulnerable or truthful enough to say, you know what, I'm just about to lose it all. But people ask and they'll say, how you doing, Dave? And I'll say, oh man, I'm doing great. Thank you for asking. God bless. And then I get in my truck and I go, no, I'm not okay. Anybody else ever done that? Say amen. That's the kind of thing that I'm talking about. Because this hiding thing, it is not new. We can actually trace it all the way back to the beginning of the Bible in Genesis chapter 3. In Genesis chapter 3, we have a story about a garden and two people, Adam and Eve. And all of a sudden, there in comes the snake into the garden, a serpent. And he starts to identify by asking some questions. He starts to challenge the character of God by asking Adam and Eve, what did God really say about that one tree that you're not supposed to eat? And he starts to criticize and he starts to make them aware that there's something about God that is trying. He, he challenges God's character of being good. And he tells them God is trying to keep you from something better. Isn't that the culture that we live in today? That now the new thing out is that culture is now identifying that God or religion is keeping you from all different types of things that could really make you happy. You know, he's keeping you from your real self. He's, he's put so many rules on us that, that how in the world can anybody enjoy being in fellowship with this God when there's so many rules? And what he does is he tries to deceive, just like he did in Genesis chapter 3. He tries to deceive you with bits and pieces of the truth. See, this book right here, some people would call it a rule book. It is not. It's a love letter. And in the love letter, it gives you expectations and boundaries of the relationship God expects that you can expect from Him and He expects from you. Like I had an expectation when I stood before a small group of people 31 years ago on January 14th in a sleet storm in the building my wife's father, which had passed when she was 12, had built. And we stood before a guy and we pledged ourselves one to another 31 years ago. And when he said you could kiss the bride, Michelle had expectations of my behavior when we walked out the door. Did you, when you got married, say amen? Like she, one of her expectations was, okay, David, you are no longer single, so you can't act single. You got to act like you're married. It didn't seem unreasonable to me because, one, I was afraid of her. 
And I thought, well, I want to stay alive, so there's some expectations. Well, that's the same thing with God. God gives you expectations of His behavior and, and expectations of our behavior in our relationship. And this is not a book of rules trying to keep you from something that is, is uh, uh, better or pleasurable, more pleasurable. What God really does is God tells the truth where the devil only tells pieces of the truth. And some people laugh, so let's settle it right now. Why did God make this tree in the first place? Only way to measure self-will. It identifies you as being created different than all the other animals and all the other creation is God gives you a choice. And the only way to measure a choice is to have a choice of doing something right and that is obedience or something wrong that is disobedient. And he had to measure your self-will by one rule. Don't eat of that one tree. Well, we know the story. The enemy comes in. And they take of the fruit and they eat of the fruit. And you know what? I don't know if you've ever been tempted to do something that was sinful. But once you experience the sinfulness of it. And I, I have done that many, many times. And I expected to get all that was promised to me in the temptation. And I found out that I didn't get what was promised. And they gave, didn't read the fine print of the guilt and the shame I might feel after I experienced it. So that's what happens with Adam and Eve. They didn't get the pleasure that was promised. And it produced something in Genesis chapter 3. And I'm going to read it in just a few moments. I want you to, let me just go ahead and read it to you and then we'll teach about it. It's in chapter 3 verses 7 and 8. And it said, The eyes of both were open and they knew that they were naked and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees in the garden. Look at what happens for the very first time. Never happened before in human history. They disobeyed and that disobedience didn't bring pleasure, it brought guilt. Well actually it brought fear. For the first time mankind had feared. They weren't afraid of anything up until that point. They named lions, tigers, bears. I mean, goodness, they lived in a garden and had absolutely no fear. And now for the first time, man had created through his disobedience fear. And that fear produced guilt. And that guilt produced a response. They felt so guilty and shameful because of their disobedience, they decided to go hide from God. That's incredible. Because the moment that we experience what was promised to us as being pleasurable... And I'm not saying that sin doesn't come with a pleasure. It's just not sustainable. Many of you know my testimony and know that I lived on Panama City Beach for a long time and my mom and dad had to ask me to leave the house. You've heard it a thousand times. I was disobedient. I was living rebelliously. I squandered a college education. God had to give that back to me miraculously after I got my life squared away. But I, I would get high or drunk every, but most of the time both, every single day. And I would hope to find some form of fulfillment. And it was enjoyable for the moment, but the guilt and shame associated with what I was doing, knowing I was living below my potential, haunted me. That's why I had to do it over and over and over again. Because one time didn't bring the pleasure that it was... And I was trying to hide. I was trying to find something and hide from God. I, I, I started down a trail and hiding from Him brought me most, the most shame I've ever experienced in my life. 
And I've told most of you the most shameful moment of my, my debauchery was not having a physical encounter with the opposite sex. It, it was, but it wasn't what you were thinking. I remember spitting a beer in somebody's face, a young lady's face. Terrible. One day I'm going to meet that lady. She's going to call me and say, I'm the girl that you spit in their face, and I'm going to apologize a thousand times. But I was full of shame. And you know what happens when you find yourself guilty of sin and that fear and that trying to hide it from God produces the shame and the guilt associated with what you've done? The first thing that you do, it's your human nature, just like it was my human nature, you try to fix it. The problem is, is you can't fix sin. Just like Adam and Eve, they tried to so they thought their problem was being naked. No, their problem was disobedience. The, the awareness of their nudity became they became aware of they were nude after they experienced disobedience. It didn't bother them the day before to walk around in that condition. And all of a sudden they found out. And all of a sudden, they try to sew fig leaves together. And they realize it doesn't really work. It covers their, what they consider to be their nudity, but it didn't take away the shame and the guilt they felt. Anybody ever tried to fix the mess you've gotten into with leaves? These little things that you can put your hands on and try to, try to make a, a, a covering because you think the issue is what you've done. But it's really the thing you're hiding from. Because this is a classic story of hiding from God and finally they have to come out of hiding and they look at God and God says, you know what, I'm going to start a redeeming process in your life that has continued to this day that ultimately brought His only begotten Son to the earth to do an earthly ministry, to die on a cross, to shed His blood and resurrect from the dead. We call that the gospel and it's been happening ever since that moment. But I wanted you to see the process that Adam and Eve put themselves through. They disobeyed. It produced fear. Fear produced guilt and shame. They decided to try to fix it on their own, decided that their sin was too big to fix, and they went and hid from God. But now, let me take you to another place in the Bible. Before I go there, I want you to understand that God never asks a question because He's looking for more information. Because God, how can you hide from an omnipresent God? He's everywhere, right? It's like saying, I'm going to go hide in this room someplace there's no oxygen. It doesn't exist. So everywhere they were, God was already there. And God knew where they were even when they were in their hidden position. And He asked them a question. And if God ever starts asking you a question, realize He's trying to let you become aware of something, not that He needs information. Let me give you a quick story. God asked them, where are you? And they didn't answer the first time. I used to skip school. Yes, it is a fact. And I skipped school with a young lady one day. And I went surfing after a hurricane. Instead of going to school, me and this young lady decided to go surfing. And I was going to show her all of my surfing skills. <laughs> That's back when I had a tan, abs, um, hair, those things that were necessary at the time. And 
I went and I surfed and I was doing good. I was impressing her. She decided to take me to the Sadie Hawkins dance after this encounter. But when I, then I, at the end of school, I was supposed to go to work. So I took her home and I went to work. And then I come home about 11 o'clock. And all the lights were turned off and I'm trying to slip into my room without waking my mom and dad up. And I hear my dad go, hey, how was school today? That's not a normal question from my dad at 11 o'clock at night. And I realized they know. And they said, I said, I didn't go to school today. I skipped school today. They said, I know. I saw you on the news. The governor was on the pier and the video cameras caught you and your friends down there surfing. And we just wanted to know whether you were telling the truth. And it doesn't that your sin doesn't come with consequences. But at least my dad respected me for telling the truth. And he said, leave your keys on the dresser and I'll tell you when you could drive again. It was a while. But the next question God asked them when they come out, and they said, we were, we were afraid we were naked. He said, who told you? Whose voice is now louder and has more authority than the voice that I have in your life? Because it's important for you to understand, God was not, at their, what they did was an act of disobedience. But what the, their disobedience and the voice of the enemy was now trying to identify them as people that God would be angry with and they, they should run from. And he wanted to say, who, who told you that? And I want to ask you before I go to the next story, who, who are you listening to? Who identifies you? Does this word identify you? Just like the words of God identified Adam and Eve? Or do you allow other things and other people and other, other opportunities to identify who you are? Now, the next thing, and Amy, if you'll get ready to pray me something, because I'm going to try to preach this next part really fast. Psalms 51 is a psalm of repentance that David had to uh, write because he was just as guilty as Adam and Eve. Matter of fact, if we were going to measure guilt, we would say he is even more guilty. He has gotten involved with somebody else's wife. He has put the man up on, he was in the army, put him up in the front of the army so he'd be killed, trying to cover up his sin. Anybody ever tried to hide your sin? I have. I'm going to say that. I have. Anybody else? Say amen. If you're sitting by next to somebody that didn't say amen, be worried. They lie. <laughs> but then God comes, then God sends a prophet and he tells him his story. He said, King, there's this guy, he's really poor and he only has one sheep. And then there's this other guy, he has a lot of sheep and he's very rich. And you know what he did? He went and stole the one sheep that the poor guy had. King gets mad, furious. He said, tell me who it is. I'll go settle the score. I'll bring justice. He said, that guy's you. So now he knows he can't hide from the Lord. And he starts, he's now becoming repentive. And he writes Psalms 51. And it goes something like this. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love. According to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions, wash me thoroughly from my iniquity, and cleanse me from my sin. See, what you have to understand is, is he skipped the stage of trying to do the fig leaves because he realized his sin was so great he couldn't go undo it. You ever done something you, you wish that you could go undo, but you just can't? 
You can't go live that yesterday again. And so instead of trying to live under the burden of guilt and shame of what you did yesterday, do what David did. Run to God and say, God, you're the only hope I have of living free again. Here's who I am. Blot out my transgression. Forgive me of my sins. And I want you to understand that this is a king say, writing this, this psalm of repentance. But he doesn't write the next verses as a king. He writes it as a shepherd, his firm, former occupation. Everybody remember David used to be a shepherd? How do you know that? Listen to the verses that come after me, after this. Purge me with hyssop that I shall be clean. Wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones that you have broken rejoice. Now wait a minute. He's writing this to God. I want you to look back at that verse again. Uh, down at verse 8. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones that you have broken rejoice. See, he's writing that verse as a shepherd remembering what he used to do to sheep that used to run away. It sounds harsh, doesn't it? A shepherd breaking the leg of a sheep? That's cruel. That's rude. That's hurtful. It's painful. He's doing it as an act of love. Because if he doesn't break that wayward sheep's leg, it will keep running away until it runs into the presence of a lion or a bear. And it will die. And so he's doing it for the good of the sheep, but the sheep doesn't understand it. But the shepherd does. So the shepherd breaks the leg of the sheep, and that's what David is telling God. God, I know that there's going to be a breaking process in my life, but I want you to go ahead and do it because it will bring me joy and gladness, not because you broke my leg, but what would happen after the sheep got its leg broken? the shepherd would put it around its neck and it would carry it until that leg healed. It was the closest sheep to the shepherd in that time period. And he says, if I can just get in your presence, I know that you can overwhelm the guilt and the shame of my sin. I know it's going to come with a painful moment, but if I can just get as close to you as I can, I can be set free and whole. And listen, I'm going to read just one more verse. It says, Clean in me, create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit in, inside of me. Cast me not away from your presence, and take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation, and uphold me with a willing spirit. Look at your neighbor, touch them, and say, He needs to explain this willing spirit. See, a willing spirit, most of the time we want God to instantly take away. See, God's really incredible. He takes away the guilt and the shame of our sin instantly. But the repercussions and the discipline of our sin, we have to live through. Let me give you a great example. If I go to the 7-Eleven and I hold it up this afternoon, I'm going to get $38, a six-pack of beer, and a carton of cigarettes. I, and if I go in there with a gun, it's going to cost me 10 years. If I fire that gun, it's 20 years. 
and I get arrested because I make it like three blocks and now the police have me in custody. They take me to the county jail. I call a good pastor like Pastor Dave and I say, I've just robbed the 7-Eleven. I need you to come and pray. And we go down there and, we, and I, he does what I do and I go down there and I pray. And you know what? God forgives that person of their sin instantly, but they stay in jail. There's a repercussion. And he's saying, create in me a willing spirit that I can go through the process because I know the process will sanctify me and create in me a clean heart, O oh God, and renew a right spirit in me that I know you love me enough not to leave me in this condition. And so I run to you, not away from you. This is the reason David wanted to do all this stuff. Then I will teach transgressors your ways and sinners will return to you. I stand before you today as a man much like King David, guilty of sin. I've tried both paths. I've tried to run away from God, and I carried the guilt and the shame and the weight of that sin way too long because I found out every time I tried to sow fig leaves, they were just not enough. I couldn't create something that would free my soul from the guilt and the shame of yesterday. But then I ran to him instead of away from him. I didn't try to hide from him. I tried to get as close as I could to him. And you know what? In his presence, there's truth. And he revealed to me who I really was and what I really did. And he did this. He said, I don't identify you by what you did. I identify you by whose you belong. You're still my son. And I love you. But we have to correct what went wrong. So let me put you up here on my neck and create a clean heart in you and renew a right spirit in you that allows the power. So I stand before you with the same testimony as King David. All of us in this room are transgressors. All of us have fallen short of the glory of God and all of us have committed sin. The choice now is do you want to run away from God or do you want to run to Him? Because if you keep hiding, you're going to have to keep trying to create leaves to cover your shame. But if you run to Him, He'll heal you. Not just forgive you, but heal you and make you whole.